Yo, what's up, New Numa family? It's your host, Norman Brown, a.k.a. The Professor. Once again, I'm back in here, ready to give y'all a good podcast today. You go, you're going to love this one. You know, one of the things that I do over here, y'all already know, I do. I deal with taboo and trending topics. And one of the things that, you know, I have addressed in the past to a degree, but I'm going to address today to a greater degree, is uh, feminism. So for many of you, if you understand what feminism is about, especially these days, you know, we're in what's called the third wave of feminism. And with feminism, it used to be that, you know, back in the day, you would have thought it was about so-called equality between men and women. But basically, that was never the intention of feminism. And I found this out recently, actually, when I was watching a video on YouTube and they were actually breaking down the history of feminism and talking about how the intent of the woman had actually started the movement was to always get to a place where women would basically dominate men and they would overrun men and so-called change the whole society so that it wouldn't be something that would be dominated. So to, so to speak by men, here's the, here's the problem. First of all, history has showed us that men are the ones that built society. Now, I don't say that to say that women have not had a place in society or that they have not had anything to do with how society is run and how, you know, basically how um, how the whole world operates. Obviously, we need women because of a lot of reasons. Here's the thing. Women are not the ones that are predominantly involved in construction. They're not the ones that deal with plumbing, electricity, all these types of things that are for the infrastructure of countries, cities, wherever. Now, obviously, when you go to those places that we call third world countries, they're actually uh, there is actually a hierarchy there that has always been in all societies. It's only in the places where we call the Western society that we actually see where women have taken things to a whole other extreme and they're trying to literally, you know, overrun men and literally cut down their authority. But here's the thing, whether women like it or not, God put men in authority, period. There is no if, ands, or buts about that. It is biblical. It is societal. It has always been that way. And now women are trying to turn it up on side on upside down to turn it up on its head. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is something that's across the board. It's not just with women. It's a, <clears throat> excuse me. It's something that we see with sexuality. We see it with the transformer movement. Y'all know what I mean. We see it in with the alphabet people. You know what I mean? We're seeing it with so many different parts of society where basically they're taking things that used to be normal and they're trying to change it into something that's abnormal. They're trying to make, in other words, like the Bible says, they're calling that which was good, bad, and that which is bad, good. They're changing every single thing to try to go against God. That's what it's all about. Everything is about going against God and saying, God, you're wrong and we're right. We know better than you and we know how to do things in a better way than you set it up. 
So everything is about contradicting the word of God, contradicting his laws, contradicting everything that he represents. And so this is the job, or rather, this is the mission and goal of Satan. So why is this important? We're going to get into that today. So just so y'all know, I've entitled this one, Captain Marvel, Feminism's Hero. Now, for those of you who know, Captain Marvel, the movie is about to come out pretty soon. And this is a very uh, pivotal time in history for it to be coming out because we see that there is a obvious goal of Hollywood, of the politics arena, of uh, even the, I would call the educational arena, all these things. We're talking about entertainment, politics, and education. And even in some religious atmospheres or circles, because now we have what's called so-called progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity is just another way to literally um, to cover up a means of Satan being able to infiltrate the church and to be able to make the church look like it's confused. It doesn't know what the word of God says that uh, anything goes that the church can decide what it wants to do and what it doesn't want to do. According to the word of God, all of this is nonsense. And that's the thing that we're going to address today. So I want to start off by saying that, um, I want to read a scripture that's coming out of the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, we find a certain situation happening um, where they were fighting against somebody. And, you know, they were always, you know, when they got into the promised land, they were fighting against a lot of people. And so one of the things that we see is that there was a situation where, um, you know, Actually, you know, I just realized we're actually going to go to the book of Judges first. That's where we're going, the book of Judges. So in the book of Judges, and I'm going to start in chapter 4, and we're going to read a little bit before the scripture that actually talks about what I'm trying to get to. But I'm going to start at verse 10. Okay, so no, you know what? I'm going to start a little bit before that. So verse seven, it says, then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over them, with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down, down there. Now, before I move on, I, I want to just point out something. So these 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And once again, we see where God does stuff that can be used in the future to remember something significant. Now, I'm going to tell you, whatever stones these were, I'm sure they weren't any little rocks that you just you can throw like pebbles across the water. They had to be big. And I'm sure they were big because it had to be something that nobody could say it didn't happen. So they get these big stones that are supposed to be for a memorial and they put them down in the water. 
Now, where they put them down, the Bible says that the actual water was cut off from there all the way to Adam. Now, that's a very prophetic statement. I'm not going to get into that today. That'll be something for another time. But it's just something for you to be aware of because that's what happened when they stepped into the waters. When the priest stepped into the waters, the waters actually stopped and it opened up a path all the way back to Adam, it said. And it said that they walked across on dry ground again. Imagine this. They already went through the Red Sea. That was a big enough feat as it I mean, by itself. That was a very huge feat. But then again, God shows himself by them putting those stones in the water. The priests walk in. And this is all prophetic, by the way. The priests are in there first. And they're setting the path up for all the people of God to go through. So they get there. And then they, the, they step into the waters. And as they step into the waters, the water stops. And then all of the people of Israel are able to walk across the river. That is amazing. This is the same river where people were being um, baptized. People like Nehem, uh, Naaman, Naaman, yeah, Naaman, Naaman, the the uh, the. Uh, I'm trying to think what they call this now. Oh my goodness, the guy that had leprosy. Yeah, Le Naaman the leper. He went there because um, Elisha told him. He said, "If you want to be." clean go and dip into that river and i think he told him to do it seven times if i remember correctly and he was thinking man that's the dirtiest river in in israel why would i go and wash there to be clean and all it was was a prophetic thing to do to show trust and see again this is something how the lord works that didn't make any sense to anybody's natural mind but because god said to do it there was an act of faith that had to follow that to then see the deliverance of the Lord from the actual leprosy. So then his servant came along and says, if he had told you to do some grand thing and blah, 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 you would have done that. Why can't you just go and dip in the river like he told you? And so that's when he did it. And then all of a sudden the leprosy went away. But I'm not going to get into the rest of that story right now because that's not a relevant story to what we're talking about. I just wanted to bring that out because that's showing how, you know, in the situation with the children of Israel, think about it. They're actually going across where that river was and they went out on dry ground, but the river itself is significant in so many ways. But for right now, we're just going to stop right there. I'm just, I just wanted to say that because we read that part of the story. So now, <clears throat> excuse me. So now we're going to go down further. Um, I'm going to skip down to, I'm going to skip down to verse 12. So then it says, oh no, I'm going to go to, I'll go to 11. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priest in the presence of the people. So just so you know, they had the ark of the Lord on their shoulders when they were in that water. That's what caused the water to be stopped for the people to cross over. So again, God has given us a prophetic and a symbolic representation because the, the ark represented his presence. 
and also his power and also his glory. So that's showing us something about, you know, God stopping things that will prevent us from moving forward. But we'll we'll just end it there. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. So verse 12, and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel. As Moses spake unto them, about 40,000 prepared for war, passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry ground or dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, encamped in Gilgal, which means circle, by the way, or rolling, I think it also means, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. So I'm just, you know, this is kind of setting up the path to to where we're actually going with this. Um, So now we're going to go to judges. We're now they're in here. They're prepared for battle orders. We know that they faced a lot of battles while they were over there in Israel. When they came into the land of Canaan, they had a lot of problems that they dealt with. Now, I want to start here, something that is very significant, but it's also something that it points to something that we need to be aware of for the body of Christ and even in society. So this is Judges chapter four, and we're going to start at um, we're going to start at verse three. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So let me go back a little bit because we need to have more context. I'll start at verse one. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Harosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Now think about this. First of all, and I never actually thought about this before until now as I'm reading this, but you got to think God delivered them from 
it, he, he delivered them from Egypt under slavery. And they had been in slavery for 400, I think, 100, 425 years. He delivered them out of the slavery. And then they come to Canaan. And somehow, because of this particular person, they are now under some type of, uh, I guess, oppression that's kind of like slavery again. Under this oppression that's like slavery. So they've been in it for 20 years. Now, to those that don't remember, God said that he was not going to let the certain children. It was certain people in the, among the children of Israel. He was like, I'm cutting them off. Anybody that's 20 years old and over is, or at least over 20, they're not going into the promised land. He, he just told us straight up like that. I'm cutting off all of them. And the reason why was because of their mindset. The land of Canaan was a land of milk and honey, the place of promise. And if you know anything about Canaan, Canaan was the name of the son of Ham. And Ham... And I'm not going to get too deep into this because this is like getting into history and, you know, some other stuff I'm not trying to talk about right now because it's not relevant to the story. But Ham, Ham's son, Canaan, was the one that was cursed by Noah. And he was the one that God said uh, that Noah said, curse be Canaan. And it was because of the fact that Ham saw his father's nakedness. Now, I'm not going to get into what that really means, but basically it means that he saw his mother naked. And you have to read the book of Leviticus to find all the laws that tell you about, you know, it'll say, you don't look upon your mother's nakedness because that is your father's nakedness. Don't look upon your mother because that is your father's nakedness, something like that. And it says that it's sin, it is evil, whatever, those kind of things. So... Anyway, so that's what that was about. But here we go. Judges chapter four, verse four. It says, and Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. A woman, yes, a woman was judging Israel at this time. Think about what she was doing. Think about the fact that it was a woman during the time where we know was probably the most uh, male-run society of probably all times. So think about this. In one of the most male-run societies, and not only that, but during the time when women have been known to not have had the same types of benefits that men had at the time, or the same types of... Uh, status in society and here it was a woman was judging Israel now the Bible is very clear on this woman's status though she was a wife she was not some single woman it wasn't no all the single ladies type of vibe it wasn't no feminism reigns all this kind of nonsense it was a woman who was under authority Therefore, she could be in authority. Let that sink in, because this is very important to understand the things that we're bringing out today. This needs to be understood very much so. 
So if you look at that situation, that scenario is showing you that God has no problem with the woman being in authority, being in, you know, in charge, so to speak, being in a position of, of notoriety or whatever. It's men who have a mindset that is sinful and or satanic that have a problem with that. Now, here's the bottom line. If it was in the Old Testament, you know the New Testament is definitely giving it, giving that woman that type of liberty because the Bible says in the New Testament, there's neither male nor female, bond nor free, barbarian or Scythian. It's so many things, Jew nor Greek. So uh, uh, bottom line is, if we see that in both places, that should shut down everything about whether women can be in a place of, of authority or whatever type of thing. So why am I bringing this out about Captain Marvel? Because Captain Marvel is a completely different type of situation. And we'll get into that more as I go further into this. So the next verse says, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said unto her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you, notwithstanding the journey that you take shall not be for your honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So then it says, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent unto the plain of Zanaim, which is by Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor, and Sisera gathered together all his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron, and all that all the people that were with him, from Harosheth of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. So now we see that uh, the Lord brought this army to where they were. I'm going to go down a couple verses. So then it says in verse. Uh, 17 it says how be it Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite and Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him turn in my lord 
turn in to me. Fear not. And when he had turned in unto her unto the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened up a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man does come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man here that you shall say no? Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, I will show you the man whom thou seekest. And when he came unto her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So now that should remind you of the fact that when, when Deborah was talking to him, she said, this is going to be something that's going to cause a woman to get the credit. A woman is going to get the credit for what's happening here. And so now we see why a woman is getting the credit. So what we see here is a situation where because a woman went with uh, this man, it was, I guess it was a prophetic sign that a woman would get the honor for the battle being won. But here's the point. The woman in the story is somewhat prophetic in many ways because she represents, she can represent the body of Christ, the church, you know, um, the ones that are basically in league with the Lord. And the thing is, is that we see that this is a this is an empowering story for women. There was never any need for feminism if people had followed what the Bible says. There would have never been any need for it. Matter of fact, there's no need for it even now. There was never a need for it. It was only a need for people to um, recognize that women do have equality with men and that it does not have to do with anything other than the fact that God made us equal. That does not mean equal authority. It means we're equal in status of being humans and made in his image and likeness. And yes, we both have something to bring to the table, but men have certain things that we bring to the table that women just don't bring. And women bring stuff to the table that men just do not bring. So, I'm going to say it like this. If I say you got a lock and I have the key, which one is most important? Both of them are important because you need the lock to lock the door and you need the key to unlock the door. But if you don't have one, then the other one is useless. What's the point of having a key without a lock that goes with it? What's the point of having a lock without a key that goes with it? You see what I'm saying? So the bottom line is you need both. Both of them are important, but both of them have a different type of job that they do. That's all there is to it. So with that being said, you know, um, <clears throat> now we're going to go to another scripture that 
is very much relevant to what we see here. And this is also in Judges. It's in a chapter 9 of Judges. And I'm going to start around, let's see, because um, I'm just trying to get to the bottom line as quick as possible. Don't want to be dragging this out. I'm going to say verse 50. Then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower within the city and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and got them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw your sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. So, what was the point of me bringing that up? It was a woman who did what it took to injure him to the point where he knew he was going to die, but he didn't want anybody to get, he didn't want the woman to get the credit. He didn't want it to be said that a woman did this to him. I'm going to be honest with you. No man wants it to be said that a woman did something to them. And that's why something happened to them. No man wants to be, have to say that rather it's a man's ego and, and whatever you want to call it, but it's a man's way of looking at himself that makes him feel that way. And it's understandable. But here's the point. Women um, in here are shown to be strong. They even have decisiveness. And uh, we also see where, you know, there is a type of, you know, um, it shows that there is the ability there for a woman to do certain things. Now, one of the things you don't see, which is, you know, I think that is very much uh, prophetic as well, slash, you know, just normal, common, whatever you want to call it, the way that it is. You don't see women going to war. You might see this woman trying to protect the people right where she is because it's right up on her. But she's not going into battle to just go out there and fight somebody. But it shows a woman protecting what's hers, which is is understandable. So. This is quite the opposite of what we see with Captain Marvel. But before we get into Captain Marvel, I got one more uh, or maybe two more verses, two more sets of verses that I want to read. One is coming out of Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And this says, well, let's start at 27. It says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
He is saying that men and women are heirs of the promise. Period. There is no differentiation because you're a man or because you're a woman. We all get the same inheritance. Are y'all hearing me? We all get the same inheritance. There's not more for men and less for women. It's not more for women and less for men. It's equal. We're heirs according to the promise. Now, I want to look up the one where it says barbarian or Scythian. Let's see. Okay, so this is Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian Scythian, bond, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So even again, right here, we see him saying, it doesn't matter which one you are. There's neither this or that, this or that. We're all one in Christ. So the point I'm making is when you look at a movie like Marvel, Captain Marvel, and you see that, first of all, she's an unmarried woman. She has no covering on her head. She has no one that she answers to. It's basically like the way they set this up in the Marvel situation is that she is the ultimate power in the Marvel universe and nobody is above her. That's what they put her up as. So they basically set her up to look like she's God. That's exactly what they've done. And then they got her being a woman being called the, the one that's saving the world. If she doesn't do it, nobody can. If she can't do it, nobody can. If she doesn't do it, nobody will be able to. Again, they've made it to look like men are weak and women are strong, and that's all there is to it. It takes a woman to save us, not a man. This whole feminism thing is such a cancer to the world is and thank God it's only in the Western societies mostly because at least we still have examples in this planet that believe in the men running things and believe in the men being an authority. Again, I've already said that women can be an authority, but they have to be under authority. That under authority means they need to have a husband, a father or a pastor. And if you need to hear the biblical uh, uh, um, example for that, here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to start at, uh, I'm going to start at, 
verse 2. Now I praise you, brothers, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. Now, I want you to notice something. It says that the head of every man is Christ. And I really believe that he's even including people that's in the world that's not saved. Their head is Christ, regardless of whether they recognize him or not. That's their head. That's who they answer to. And the head of the woman, the woman, is the man. So that what does that show you? There's a man that a woman answers to. A man that a woman answers to. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Who's his head? Christ. So he's dishonoring Christ by having his head covered when he prophesies or prays. But every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So who is her head? Her husband. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. In other words, she might as well have a bald head if she's um, being uncovered because she dishonors her, her, her husband by doing that. So, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn, which means let her have a shaved head. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. Now, I find this very interesting because... <laughs> I'm going to say it like this. Um, this situation that Paul is speaking of, I believe that he's not speaking of anything uh, like a constant, you know, having something on your head type of thing. I think he's speaking of a specific type of situation. But I want to say this. It's interesting to me that people who are supposed to be Brothers and sisters to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wear stuff on their head all the time. And these are men. If you, if you can't read between the lines, then <laughs> I'm sorry for you. I'm not going to say it. But those men wear things on their head all the time. And it's interesting how, you know, Paul is saying those kind of people, that's a shame for them to have their head covered. But then come down to verse 8 and it says, or verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. The woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now, what we're talking about right here, because I want to set the record straight. We don't, we're not talking about 
uh, how most people in the, in the whole history of humankind have come into earth. We know that most people came through a woman, but Adam did not. But a woman came out of Adam. This is what it's talking about. And that was the beginning for God to show the foundation of all humanity is from man. So, so that man would be first and woman would be second, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Then it says, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. I want you to hear this. Women were created for a man. They were created for a man. This is what our Bible is showing us right here. Now, I know that there's some people out here now talking about some, I can't remember their stupid name that they got, but they supposedly don't believe in what Paul taught. And Paul's writings are two thirds of the New Testament. But these people supposedly don't follow his teachings because they're saying he wasn't Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And if they were to say that, then they would say they might as well say they don't follow any of the Bible because only a portion of the Bible shows what Jesus said. The rest of it is what God had men to write. And, you know, yeah, so we'll just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that for now. The point is, is that when we look at Captain Marvel, she is not covered. There's no man that she answers to. And there's no man more powerful than her. It is a backwards universe. And it is a complete slap in God's face. And it is a emasculating in mass of a lot of men, specifically rather, those that do not know who they are, they don't know who they, they don't know their identity. Those are the ones who is a slap in the face too, and you know, it it, it belittles them. It it makes them weak, makes them punks, soft, if you will. So one thing I'm, I mean, y'all probably, I mean, you should know this by now if you've been listening to me for years. You should know. You know, I ain't down with the weak men, the weak mindset or anything like that. We got strong men over here. And, you know, some of us, we call, we call them alpha males. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm an alpha male myself, and I'm proud of it. I'm thankful that I'm, I was born this way. <laughs> Thank God I was born as an alpha male. I cannot even imagine being any other kind of male. The point is, is that capital, I mean, not capital, Captain America, um, Captain, sorry, Captain Marvel. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's two captains in the whole Marvel thing, Captain America and Captain Marvel. But Captain Marvel, being a woman, was made to be more powerful than everybody, including Thanos and all those people put together. And it's funny, it's just like, Nobody could beat Thanos. Thor couldn't beat Thanos. Nobody, the Hulk couldn't beat Thanos. All of a sudden, Captain Marvel shows up and she just blows him away. Isn't that interesting? 
The bottom line is, again, we're fighting a spirit. When we talk about feminism, it's a spirit that we're fighting. And it's a demonic spirit. It's satanic. Every bit of it is satanic. And it's to the point now where it's, it's no longer anything about equality. It's about a superiority complex and overrunning, overwhelming, and, and just taking control over men in society. Women are just trying to dominate men now. And this is something that is very much satanic. But along with that, are all these other things that have been done based on the laws and whatnot, you know, all these things that have been changing. The point is, is that we as men have to stand on our ground, stand our ground against the enemy, against his his tactics, against his 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 weapons against us, because this is a weapon against us. And we have to be well aware of that. Satan is trying to overrun men in a way where men are not going to be able to stand up against him. We can't let that happen. Men have to stay in their place as the leaders of society. Men, you are the leaders of society. Don't let anybody else tell you anything different. I don't care how high a woman rises. She will never be the leader of society. God has never ordained for that to be. That does not take away the fact that women cannot lead. And that does not mean that they are not able to be in charge of things. That does not mean that they are weak or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, God gave men authority to lead society. Women are to follow. Period. I'm not going to get into all the reasons of that. Why? There's a lot of reasons. I will leave one reason with you and then we're done. Men are logical. Women are emotional. Now, I don't care how you try to slice it. You can tell me some anecdotal thing about this one woman that you know that's that's very logical and all that crap. I guarantee you, you put her in the right situation, she's going to be as emotional as any other woman. It's the way that God created them. And there's no diss. It's just a fact. Women are emotional. Men are logical. So when you see God putting a man in authority, it makes sense why he put him in authority because we're logical. We think through things based on facts, information, statistics, or whatever. We look at all the whole picture, not just a piece of the picture. We're not looking at just the way we feel or whatever. We're looking at what the stats say, what the numbers say, what the facts say to make decisions. So with that being said, man, I'm out of here. I appreciate you all for listening once again. I'm back at it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I just want to say, you know, for those of you that, that haven't heard, that don't know, you know, uh, my wife is finally here with me in the States. It's been a minute since, uh, well, a minute is an understatement. Five years. Y'all might not have known that, but I'm telling you now, it's been a five-year um, faith walk 
to get her into America from the Dominican Republic. And uh, I'm so grateful that she's finally here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be on and popping with this again with, with New Numa Godcast and bringing y'all some really good content, man. I got a lot of stuff lined up. Make sure you just, if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you subscribe. If you have not already done um, given a rating or uh, inspirational comment, please go on to Apple Podcasts if you're on there. And give us a five-star rating with an awesome comment to make other people see how good this podcast really is so that they'll also come in here and get this knowledge. Don't keep it for yourself. Please share this. Share this with people that you know, people that need to hear this kind of message, people that need their lives changed. I really need your help to spread this word. It's not something that I can do by myself. So, you know, and and it's not just on God to just make something just happen. It takes people like you who say you're led by the Holy Spirit, who say that you walk with God. You should be hearing God tell you, help Norman out in whatever way it is that you can help. You should be hearing that, especially if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time. Support me. That's all I'm asking. Help me out. Support me. Get me. Get me in front of people that need to, you know, hear this podcast. I really need that. And I really appreciate it. So once again, as you all know, you're listening to New Numa Godcast. And I hope that you come back and that you continue to support for me for many years. I really appreciate you. Also, before we go, if you're not already following me on Instagram, follow me, follow me at New Numa. And you can follow my personal account, Norm the Professor. Either way, you can follow me, but you know, follow me on New Numa definitely. Also, I have a YouTube channel. That's something that's, you know, I'm about to really get back on again. You can go on there. Make sure it's the New Numa Godcast live recordings. Make sure you go on there and subscribe. All right. Share, man. Share, share, share. I really need y'all to help me with that. All right. So thank you again for listening to New Numa Godcast. Peace.